We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And if you're a regular listener of the show, you know how much we love the minutiae of the game and debating the the little pieces of the puzzle. And we've talked a lot about the importance of even in hard times, kind of finding the little small wins where you can, because you can build upon that. But that can be, you know, shuffling chairs on the Titanic if the overall team spirit and morale is low. And that's something that we haven't had too many podcasts about. So that's going to be the topic today because that's something that we've seen more and more the last few games, kind of like the, hmm, are they going to be able to keep it together, keep that life and keep that competitive spirit? And yesterday, Mike, I saw in the second quarter, Lakers were down by like 13, 15 points. And LeBron started playing his ass off. He was rotating all over the place. He was flying all over the place, uh, you know, pushing the ball up court, just as assertive as I've seen him all season. And this is something I was talking about the other day about how Kobe in the 2013 season saw a team that needed to be picked up and tried to do it by virtue of his own talents. And LeBron did that and got the Lakers back in the game. That said, the game went exactly the same way as all the others do. It's like this Groundhog Day where the first quarter and the second quarter and the third quarter are all the same from game to game. But then he tweaked his groin near the end of that. And then in post game, you know, LeBron was like, obviously, we're in a tough spot uh, in kind of a preamble that Dave McMenamin had to a, a question. And so... That's something that all of the little stuff we talk about on the pod, Mike, the rotations, the lineups, the schemes and all of that. If the team doesn't have that spirit and belief, it doesn't matter a whole heck of a lot. You've been around a lot of teams, so please take that wherever you'd like to go. But uh, that's something that I'm very concerned about right now. Yeah, I was thinking about it in the context of a, say, a players only meeting, which you hear called sometimes and that gets kind of leaked out. And and this this has not happened with the Lakers. I just heard that. One had happened with a different team uh, in the Western Conference. And when you come out the next game after a meeting like that and you just don't have the answers yet, that's when the spirit really starts to wane. And I think in this case, Darvin Ham first mentioned the spirit. I believe it was after the was it the Utah or the Cleveland loss. I think it was the Cleveland loss on Sunday. Mm-hmm. 
And they've tried to come up with a couple of different answers, right? The, the immediate answer is, okay, got to get back to defending like we did early in the season. But they haven't been able to, to sustain that for much. Like the period that you mentioned in the second quarter was really good defense, but it was okay in the first quarter. It just isn't quite at that same level. And mm-hmm. I think this all ties back to it's LeBron and AD as the pairing and then Russ as this third guy. And beyond those three, it's because of the, the just the strength of who they are and the careers that they've had and who they still are on the basketball court. Appearance-wise, it's tough for everybody else on the roster to raise that bar. Like they can come in like Troy Brown did and play really well, or a guy can come in and play super energetically on both sides of the court. But it's still like when those other guys are out there and their presence is there and one of them is always on the floor, that's still the leader. And the the combination of kind of the mix of the skill sets that they have and the energy that they have towards the season just hasn't been enough to lift the boat and to get them over the over the hump in terms of winning games, even if they've been in many of the games. But we've started to see those score lines differ. Right where mm-hmm. the first Clippers game they lost was six points, and they lost to Portland by two. Then they kind of hung around the Denver game, uh, even hung around the Minnesota game a little bit. And now these last four, it's a fourteen point loss, a fourteen point loss, a twenty plus point loss, and then last night was a thirteen point loss. And even if you make the the run somewhere to tie the game, that doesn't mean much when the third quarter starts with a nine two run, and all of a sudden you're you're just back into the double digit. And when it's that double digit type of deficit game after game that's when you see the the collective spirit mm-hmm. kind of lowering and uh darius thankfully is here to give us all of the answers darius go ahead <laughs> <laughs> oh man mike i don't think that's in my job description these days like, okay my th- bad. Th- there are certain things i do do but but having all of the answers is is not one of them one of the things that i notice and this is just like I try to put myself in like just other people's shoes all all of the time, right? And that general sense of lack of spirit or spirit being sapped, right, is I think probably a more accurate way of saying it because the Lakers have a lot of spirit. They I, I think they they battled back multiple times in in that game, Mike. And there was a stretch where even with five minutes left, when LeBron went went out with his growing, um, like I didn't. I wasn't under any illusions that the Lakers were going to come back and win that game, but it wasn't a 20 point game at that point when LeBron got hurt. It was it was hovering in between that seven and 11 point mark, right? Where it's just like, okay, Clippers are up nine, Lakers score. Okay, now it's down to seven. Clippers hit a three. It's back up to 10. Lakers don't score. Clippers score. It's up to 12. Oh, Lakers hit a three. It's down to nine. And it was sort of that trading back and forth, which happens in, in any NBA game. But um, at one point, the Lakers did tie it back up again. They had that massive run that was in the sec- second quarter. And so they're showing the requisite fight. What I'm trying to get to the bottom of is the ebbs and flows of the fight versus like, oh, damn it. And and those feelings of damn it <laughs> that happened, those, one of the things I'm trying to figure out is, is why those come. And then putting myself in the player's shoes, I start to speculate. And one of the things that I see is that 
when and maybe you guys have experienced this in mobile in your own lives, but you see someone else do something and for them, it's pretty simple. But for you, it's hard. Right. And I see this with my own kids, Mike, and your kids play sports. And from what I've seen, your 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 kids are pretty good at sports. But there's like I even see this with my kids sometimes with with academics. Right. And they'll like be talking to their friends and their friends seem to get it. Like, oh, this is some long division like algorithm and they understand it. But maybe for my kid, it's not as easy. And there is that sense of like, okay, well, how do I bridge that gap? So I look at the Lakers and this has happened against the Clippers. It happened against the Jazz. It happened against against the Cavs. There's a level of shot making that other teams exhibit on a nightly basis. And it's just sort of just like, oh, there's Paul George. Just like that's a tough fadeaway jumper from the baseline and it just goes in or there's Markeith Morris dude right in his face hand like hand up strong strong contest and he's just burying the shot over like a dude who he's bigger than but it's like not so much bigger that he's shooting over like a 5'10 guard or something that's that's Troy Brown he's got good enough size to get a good contest up and like Markeith Morris seems unfazed or M Marcus Morris seems unfazed by that. And there's a certain amount of like, damn, these dudes are hitting these shots. And then for the Lakers side, the the Pete and tell me if I'm wrong by this, because I'm watching on TV just just like you and Mike, you're in the arena. But there are times then when the Lakers on the other side, they create the exact sort of shot that they want to to create. And it just doesn't go in. It like front rims or it rattles in and out or it, it, it and it's just sort of just like, like, damn it. Like we like we're not playing the same sport to a certain yep. extent. And to me, that cumulatively adds up over the stretch of four or five possessions. And that feeling, I think, has that can burrow in to a team yes. and then it just nestles in and it rests there. And that's where my concern is, Pete. It's that like the Lakers sort of see other teams doing the thing that they themselves are incapable of doing. And even when the Lakers create all these opportunities through defending their tails off and hustling hard and doing all of this, it's only to get themselves right back up to the top of the hole. Yep. But not over the top where they feel like, ah, now we have gained actual traction. And that's a hard position to navigate. And, and that's where my concerns are when it comes to the morale piece. And that's a simple consequence of the roster construction. I mean, we're the worst shooting team in the league and we're very small. And those two things, I think, come into play from that morale standpoint. There was another possession. So first off, the shot making point is super true in a just a basketball spirit type of standpoint is that there are two elements of the game. I call it the floor game, which is everything that leads up to the shot. And then the shot making that's, you know, the actual conversion of the play. And it's not particularly complicated. It's but that's why they say it's a make or miss league. Right. Is that a lot of teams will do that good work leading up to the end of a play. But at the end of it, you have to convert it. And when you don't, and then you see the other team converting those opportunities over and over, that's going to have that accumulative effect. But there was another play in, in I think the second half where we had just a tiny group of guys out there and they, the Clippers got like three, four straight offensive rebounds and it ended up in a, a foul, I believe, or a zoo put back. And that is demoralizing too, right? Where 
you're so collectively small that like it's kind of eighth graders versus versus fifth graders type of thing. And that's the thing, Mike, is like I've been, you know, hey, when in Gabriel will be super helpful. Thomas Bryant will be helpful when he gets back. Yes. But if you're like if you're at that point where you're saying, hey, we need these guys to step in and, and be quality role players and, and, you know, fill a position because we don't have anybody else that size. That's one of the things that stands out to me is this is the second year in a row where we don't have any forwards, where we're just especially small on the court, like a lot of the time. And this is in part the consequences of having half your roster as guards and somehow miraculously we have half our roster as guards, but we still can't shoot. And so that demoralization comes from like, Hey, you're the roster is not good enough. Well, sure. I, I think that the, the two way wing and the big wing thing is I'm never going to argue against that point. That's, that's been to me a hallmark of just NBA success for generations of basketball and the size that they have lacked in that sense, I think has, has been problematic, but they do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and playing it. Now, AD is playing at the center spot. There are certain times where he's on the court. It's, it doesn't happen a lot, but like Gabriel's been playing alongside him a little more. But just LeBron and AD alone and whatever three guys used to be enough to at least have a positive plus minus, you know, at least have some kind of some kind of thing going on. And I get that the fit around them makes a difference but that to me is just still where where it starts in terms of the spirit and the and maybe it's just the maybe it's the difference in the roster and the kind of the teammates that they had in 1920 versus what it is now and that's weighing on them as well but you mm-hmm. know though they are still two big versatile wing type players even when AD's playing the center and I, you know, I just think that that's been that's come a little bit more into focus this season than it did last season, even. Yeah, that that's something that D we don't win a lot of the minutes that LeBron and AD are on the court, right? Like this idea where we have a, a top heavy team that's that's thin three through eight, three through ten. That makes sense in uh, relative to you know the, the way the roster is put together. But when you actually watch the games, like we haven't won the LeBron and AD minutes in a couple of years, and usually those two guys plus three vet minimum dudes in the past, like you're going to win at least a de- decent number of their shifts, right? And like the number of shifts that they're winning when they play together is I, that's fallen off of a cliff. See, so this is where I push back a little bit. So you guys aren't wrong. And I think that the points you guys are making are well made. But I think it's it's a bit of a misnomer to say, hey, it used to be these two guys and any three dudes. No, it For wasn't sure. any three dudes. It just wasn't. Like, That's fair. Like I hate to like I hate to bring it up again, but when KCP left the Pistons and signed with with the Lakers. He wasn't some elite player or whatever, right? But his first contract with the Lakers was for $18 million. Now, that was a part of the salary cap stuff and, and other things. He was the eighth pick in an NBA draft, right? This isn't even looking at Troy Brown, who was like taken 15th or, mm-hmm. or someone Lonnie else. Lonnie Walker, right? similar yeah. type of guy, yeah. Right? Like, this dude was a top 10 pick, <laughs> And and then like they're like Danny Green for as much as like we've lamented and joked with Pete and we've gone back and forth about who's this or 
whatever, right? Like Dan, like Danny Green has had an illustrious career as a high-level NBA role, well, role player. We see what Kyle Kuzma is doing now for the Washington Wizards, where he is basically a consistent like 18-point-a-game scorer who can get you anywhere up to 30 to 35 points on any given night while rebounding well with positional size and competes defensively. These aren't just other dudes. Th- those aren't minimum-level players. Mm-hmm. Right. And so while I totally agree with the functional idea that you guys are saying that, like, look, LeBron and AD have historically been top five level players, even if on any given night, the top five changes. Right. In the NBA on any given night, like Luca's a top five player or this guy's a top five player, whatever. But you're in that conversation. But there is a level of, OK, well. They do need a certain type of support. And as and it that support is different from two seasons ago. And maybe they do need more of it. Right. And so that's agreeing with the point that you guys are making. Right. But that idea of needing more of it doesn't. It doesn't absolve the rest of the players on the team or the construction of the roster to be able to provide that support. Charles Barkley was on a pod and he said, you know, when you're the best player, you get all the credit, but you get all the blame. And that's true. And there are times where I look and I'm just like, man, AD needs to be doing this better. Or LeBron shooting, for example, which was much better last night. It has not been good enough through the first part of the season. And we can look at those things and say, hey, these are important things that matter towards the success and failure of or the generation of wins versus losses for this team. But in the big picture, they're not the problems on this team, right? Mm-hmm. And and I want to get back to finding ways to better support those star players rather mm-hmm. than looking at them to support everyone else because there is a symbiotic relationship, Mike, between star and role player. And I feel like that has been thrown out of balance the last couple of seasons. And we and the default is to then look at the stars to see what the stars aren't doing sometimes. And it's like, I, I just want to make sure that we're having the broadest conversation that we possibly can. Which is all sensible. Um, I, I want to try to, you just mentioned broadening it. I want to sharpen in uh, or hone in on something specifically quickly. Maybe we should do that after a break, though. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Okay. LeBron offense. We talked about LeBron shooting. And I don't even know how many pods ago it was now. And essentially, yes, more of his shots are going to go in. And they did. You know, he made four threes. The jump shot looked pretty good. And I, I'm i still sort of in that same camp of that isn't going to make the ultimate difference in this Lakers team. And when he's out there, especially – so the starting lineup around them, it's last night, was Beverly, Reeves, and Troy Brown Jr. So those guys are small as a collective three. And they're not – even though Austin can do it some – in terms of shot creation and in terms of attracting the defense and creating spaces and creating angles for players to score, that's, that's not going to happen a ton compared to what most NBA player NBA teams are going to have. So in that group, LeBron is the best one at it at sort of creating that advantage. And when he's taking jump shots or when he's ice wing or when he's looking for his own shot or when he's kind of dribbling along to the side, that it's just going to create a certain amount of stagnancy and, and it's going to be easy for the defense, I think, overall, to just sort of stay in whatever spot they're in. And Anthony Davis is doing what exactly? You know, it, Davis took 16 shots and he made nine of them. And so that, I, we haven't talked to, we should probably focus more about LeBron's groin and what that's going to mean um, mm-hmm. that we have so far. I know we're kind of, we're that's another thing I would like to, to home in on. But I, I just want to kick that back to you, Pete, about the jump shots and about LeBron and about his scoring and and sort of how that fits with this specific roster and how AD to me is getting more lost in that uh, than than what has happened in the past. And it just seems it just does not seem that connected to me. Yeah, we're very disjointed. Um, I I mean, I do think that LeBron making jumpers matters. It's just that we can't fall apart in other aspects of the game too, right? Like that's something that it's, you have to be able to stack the defense that we played at the beginning of the season on top of actually making shots too. And that's the, the best path to success. That said though, that you're spot on, right? You've got, and I, I really want to emphasize this. I, I don't think I've articulated it well when bringing it up in the past. Our lineup constructions are very unusual and have been for the last couple of seasons as a function of what the roster is, of who we have available. You talk about who, you know, that that trio of Austin, Pat Bev, and Troy Brown being small, like their alternatives are small too. You got Kendrick Nunn, Dennis Schroeder potentially coming back, Lonnie Walker. These are all guys that the alternatives are just, yeah, they're small. And so if you've got AD at the five spot too, who are your forwards at that point? LeBron James, JTA, and Wenyan Gabriel. It's just not enough at that position. Most rosters have five or six forwards on them. And if AD's at the five, he's not playing that spot. And so when putting that in context of LeBron running a team, I feel like you either have to have small guys that can do that, that can initiate offense, or you've got to go bigger so that those guys are at least, if LeBron has to take on more of that shot creation type of role, I think Anthony Davis needs to be a bigger part of that. Maybe you could speak to that a little, D. Uh, if they have to do that, then give them help in the other aspects that you can, whether it's size and physicality, rebounding, uh, rim protection, kind of the – and that's what the the 1920 team was, was LeBron was playing that point guard spot, but you did have that size, and they were better players, as you were – as you accurately pointed out, D. Um, but, but to me, like how you support LeBron and AD with this roster, you have very few cards to play, and that's problematic, like full stop – in in the first place, right? Same thing was true with last year's team. But 
to me, that's the place that you can go with it is, is to go a little bit bigger and to support them in the ways that you can, uh, or for those lead guards to come back, you know, your Dennis, your Russ, to, to take more of that responsibility. But really, like, it, it comes down to supporting those guys in the ways that you are capable of on a roster that's very limited. Yeah, I, I like, I think, Mike, you've made um, similar points about the shooting, and I think that your, your points are well made. For last night's game, I think if LeBron's not making those shots, the Lakers lose by 30. Right. Right. So there's a certain amount of is it good enough within the context of 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 winning the game? It it's it's not. And and I think that the impact it has on the other team's defensive approach, particularly, is a well-made point that they're going to invite those threes. And if they go in, they go in. If they don't, they don't. But in the big picture, the defense thinks that it's a win. And in the end of the game, they think, well, we are going to they're going to he's going to miss enough of these in order for us to win the game regardless. And so I that that's why I'm saying that your point is is well-made. But one of the things that I want to sort of zoom back out a little bit and, and is that when Pete, you're one, one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking about the roster construction is that idea of, and I brought this up last pod or two pods ago, is like, how many looks do you have in order to offer yeah. the opponent? And... The Lakers currently only really have one look, and that is a function of the construction of the roster. This is true schematically too, right? Like we've been yes. running, we don't have really a switch scheme. We don't have a zone look. So this is this whole dynamic plays out in a couple of different very important ways. It does. And so let's make a football analogy really quickly. And I used to watch those old Dallas Cowboys teams, the triplets, right? Troy Aikman and... Emmett Smith. Now, when Darius says Irvin. old guys again, th- this this probably means like the 1990s, you know? Yeah. He's talking so, about yeah, them so 90s teams. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Just, all right. Go ahead. Michael Irvin was an interesting player, Hall of Fame wide receiver, but he is not in the mold of like these speedster guys that are in like today's NFL, right? He was not a Tyreek Hill to bring a modern mm-hmm. NFL wide receiver to He was Debo Samuel. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, he was a dude who was a physical over the middle player. Right. Mm-hmm. But one of the ways, but Michael Irvin would still catch the deep ball and he would still score touchdowns on long passes from from Troy Aikman. But he wasn't doing that because they were just lining him up on the outside and saying, go run faster than the other dude. Right. Because Michael mm-hmm. Irvin wasn't going to win that race. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things that when you look at the Lakers roster now, they have effectively eliminated the size component of their team by slotting their two biggest and most physical athletes up a position in order to play center and power forward. Now, Mm -hmm. look, this isn't something that cannot work because we know that it can work. We've seen these guys play these exact positions over the years. Even last season, LeBron played power forward and LeBron even played some center. There is a there are versions of the lineup in which you actually want that. But when you scale those guys up, you need to be bigger at the other spots to make up for the size that you've lost. Like to put it in, in less like general terms, Anthony Davis isn't going to bully Ivica Zubats. 
that's not the way that he can beat him. And so you, if you can't go to a look where you can have Anthony Davis bullying Marcus Morris instead, yes, this has that kind of impact. Yes. And so that's the point I was going to make is that when the Lakers had a more versatile roster and they had the ability to play bigger, it was the equivalent of those old Dallas Cowboys teams saying, well, guess what? We're going to hand the ball off to Emmett Smith twice in a row, three times in the row. Oh, look, there's four runs in a row. There's seven runs in a row. And it's just like three yards here, four yards there, five yards, seven yards, four yards. It's just like, okay, they've now gone 25 yards just on Emmett Smith runs. And then body blows, right? Little jabs to the to the ribs. Yep. And then they run that play action pass. And suddenly Michael Irvin's behind the safety. And you're like, well, how'd that happen? It happened because they out-physicaled the other team and then they switched it up on them. They said, okay, now we're going deep. And what the and so to put this back in the parlance of like the Lakers, what the Lakers used to do is they used to say, Yeah, guess what? Small forward, you have to go deal with LeBron James. And he's going to power you and back you down. Guess what? Power forward, you get to deal with Anthony Davis right now. And they're going to post you up and post you up. And then later in the game, Mike, what they would do is, is they would say, yeah, guess what? Now those dudes are playing power forward and they're playing center. And those like three yards and a cloud of dust plays that they were running via post-ups, those are now transition baskets and they are running by you because you got used to one thing only for the change up to come in and be like, oh no, now we're going by you. And the Lakers don't have that second look anymore. What they currently have is one look. And the one look is putting their most physical players in positions where those physical advantages are lessened. And they're lessened yes. because LeBron James is aging. Right. And so he's going to have less physical advantages nightly now moving forward. That's just a statement of fact. We're yeah, like, no matter what you do with scheme, what lineups, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking down about LeBron James. No. He's in his 20th season. And Mike, this is a point that you've been making since the off season, but to Pete's point, the AD Zubats matchup to me was super symbolic of the Lakers being like, this is our only option. And so we're just going to do, we'll do this. And AD still got his numbers. He still shot efficiently. He was a great role threat. He hit a couple of jumpers, but it was the, this is the only thing that we can go, go to. And I can guarantee you, Marcus Morris was just like, thank goodness I don't have to deal with this dude. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's because the Lakers don't have a second look. And so in bringing it full circle, Mike, I think that there is all of this adds up to impact sort of the viewpoint and the, and the general morale of the team, because there is a makeup of all, we know that these guys are good. We know that they can play, play basketball, but each night they go into different matchups and there's a deficit in one place or, or another place, or it's a challenge in one place or, or another place that needs to be overcome rather than them exerting the challenge to the other team. And mentally, I think that that adds up over time. Just to get a, a bit of discussion about LeBron here. The the way that he described his groin after the game, and you can see the video. It's on uh, my Instagram. It's on uh, pretty much everywhere, right? Just go on the internet. You've probably seen it already. And he he said it's it's not as bad as the groin that he injured that essentially wrecked 
the first season that he came with the Lakers, right, on Christmas Day in Golden State. And I asked him about that specifically because I wanted to see if a, it, it was the right one, if it's one of those things where I am not a doctor and it's I'm just making an analogy. We were talking about sprained ankles yesterday, right? Darius has done his a couple times running. You know, I just did my – I did a high ankle sprain for a second time. And if it's in the same area, right, it's got – there's there's certain number mm. of ligaments and stuff like that. So it's – and I just wanted to know if it was connected in that way. And he, LeBron didn't answer specifically to say yes, that it was. He just said, like, it's not as bad as that one. And But what does that mean? Well, a groin is more like a hamstring, right, or something. like It's not necessarily like an ankle where Darius might be super sore, but he can wrap that thing up and he can run tomorrow. It's just going to hurt really badly. But if it's a groin or a hamstring and you go out and play mm-hmm. tomorrow, then you can just t- keep tearing that thing. You can just make it worse and worse until it's until it's really bad. And so, Pete, I, I know that LeBron had mentioned Friday's game and like he's going to wake up tomorrow. And I think he was doing a lot of sort of the best case scenario. But I, I would have a hard time thinking that even the most minor of tweaks, considering all the mileage that he's had, is not something that's going to take a little time. So I wanted to at least get your guys initial thoughts now on pulling LeBron out of this two and nine lineup. We just talked about the lack of size. There's nobody that they can put in that spot. Well, I guess he missed the game and they started winning Gabriel, right? But maybe Thomas Bryant, when he comes back, it goes to the five and then AD's at the uh, at the four, but then your what's your shot creation like? And oh, well, maybe then Dennis Schroeder comes into play. So those two guys I can already sort of see, but when you're taking guys that haven't played and throwing them into the starting lineup, and I will now stop answering my own question to you uh, and, and let you get in on this. <laughs> And just to kick it to you with this added layer, we just talked about morale. What happens when, like, suddenly you now don't have LeBron James? What's that do to your morale? So so I want you to, like, con- yeah. have that as a consideration, too, within the context of all the tactical things that, that Mike just discussed, too. It's it's a huge leadership challenge. And that's that's one of the layers I wanted to get to, but I don't think we will uh, be able to do it justice in the time that we have. But this is a leadership challenge on every level of the organization to pull us out of the hole that we're in. And if LeBron is out, then that's that becomes all the more challenging to do that. And to me, this is the space of internally motivated guys, uh, guys who are going to go out there and bust their ass no, no matter what the surrounding context is. It's also a time for Darwin to try new things, to try new, new looks to the extent that he can. But again, that's super limited by the players that he has on the roster, not as a matter of quality so much as it's really imbalanced. Like I feel like this roster was put together for a post-Russell Westbrook trade. And it was like, oh, well, you know, if we're going to sign Dennis, it's going to have to be now. And even though he maybe he's the guy that that steps in in case of a rust trade. But what ends up happening is that you've got three forwards, right? And you've got Anthony Davis at the five spot because one of your vet men backup guys has played really poorly and the other one is hurt. And so just you just don't have a whole heck of a lot of options. And so this is a period of time to me that it's like it's the Max Christie's, the Matt Ryan's, the Wenyan Gabriel's and the Troy Brown's. It's it's something that that's a tough place to be at this point of the season. And with this, we had a pod yesterday about the next 10 games and their winability. Well, if LeBron James is out, Mike, then that conversation totally changes. And so, but that's, that's where we are and we got to be where we are. And it, to me, it's a question of leadership on like, we kind of let last year die without doing anything to change. And uh, I 
I'm very curious to see if we we do that again. But this is something where like multiple people need to step up and kind of own their own corner of of the Lakers. Yeah, and this is where I am looking towards towards Anthony Davis. Um, in the game that LeBron missed, um, he was super productive, and I thought that he did a very good job particularly in the first half of like making sure like, A, like we're right there with this team and like we're ready. Um, he let go of the rope then defensively in the third quarter. And then that that hurt. It hurt. And then the Jazz did what the Jazz have been doing, which is like, hey, like you're giving us some space. We're killing y'all now with with, right. well, with jumpers. And so AD is going to be super, super important here. Um, Mike, this is where I think Darwin's personality and, and his approach is also going, going to be meaningful. But I also think that this is going to be a, a spot where it is going to be on like Russell Westbrook, for example, to be like, hey, man, like I got to start playing harder in the parts of the game that require me to play harder and not just the parts of the game where playing hard is actually going to lead to production. Right. And so Russ has been playing hard when it's like, Hey, I'm getting downhill. I'm attacking the basket. I see a dude in front of me. Like I I've liked his aggression level and that's been helpful. He also had a couple of plays last night where he threw some bad passes and then trotted back defensively. Yes. Right. And so that trotting back defensively, that's the moment that is required for you to play hard as well. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so I don't want to single out Russ necessarily, but it's just like, he's the next man up when it comes to like, Hey, like you're the third star and you may be coming off the bench, but if LeBron isn't going to play your leadership, then that leadership void that you just discussed, Pete, like that needs to be mm -hmm. filled by somewhere. And are you going to look to a veteran minimum guy or Kendrick Nunn or Lonnie Walker, or are no. you going to look to a guy who won an MVP award a few seasons ago? Like, like, I mean, there, there's, there's a natural state here that needs to play out and it's on the guys who have the talent to actually do it. And maybe that's folly of me to suggest, but I think that that's really, that's where it is. I'm just, I'm going to go with you on half of that. And I think that, so starting with Westbrook, the stuff that you just talked about, Darius, that's not what he's been in his career. You know, it's, he's, he's been even in his MVP season, right. For the most part, like he's, he just had the ball the whole game and that's what he did. And so like even Ty Lue before the game was asked about Westbrook yesterday. And he essentially said, well, what Russ, you always know you're going to get him to compete. And that's been like, kind of like the narrative. But I think what's missed in that is, is what you said, connecting to the basketball and having it in the things that he wants to do on the court. Less so the transition defense type elements, which is what Darvin Ham talked to him about repeatedly in the offseason. And, and that's just that's just how he's played. And I don't think we can expect that that's going to tick up now that LeBron is out. AD, on the other hand, he's he is at the stage of his career where he should be expected to be able to do both things on both ends. And I don't know that yeah. he's been able to show that yet uh, this season. And and that's. I don't want we could get into a roster construction and all that and roll, but like that, that ultimately has to be him. And he is yes. the one that can do that and has to do that and has to make those extra sprints up in transition and has to like he's he has to be the one for me that has who has the capability and who has done it before, um, even if he's not 10 pounds lighter like he was in the 1920 season or but that to me is about the only answer. And, you know, betting on that is is going to be difficult based on what the circumstances are. But that to me is at least the thing that that has a capability of happening. 
you know, expecting it is, a, is a another matter. Yeah, that first half against Utah where AD was just kicking Markinen's ass or whoever they put on him, that's the guy that we need him to be on the offensive end. And you were talking earlier about the shot creation stuff. Like that's one of the places that you can get it is just Anthony Davis is so much better than the guy that's guarding him that that causes more defensive attention and opens spam up things for actions. role players. You spam, right. Well, that's the thing. And by the way, especially against Sacramento, like a team that's going to start Sabonis at the five. Exactly. Say, like exactly. Utah Go or Sacramento. Sabonis. Those are the teams that you have to just like AD, go ahead. Just go ahead the whole time. It's harder against Zubats. It's just this because he's just going to stand in the middle of the paint and be huge. Sure. And that's when you need some kind of different look or a guard drawing him away in screen roll. But like these, that kind of a team, man, like AD should have 35. That's right. And to me, shot attempts are a big shot attempts and free throw attempts are a big uh, indicator for for me with AD. Like AD was was solid last night, but like 16 shot attempts like we need that, especially with LeBron out. We need that to be in the mid 20s. But to be in the mid 20s, it's also you probably got to take something off of his defensive plate. And it sure would be great if we had more (laughs) big people that could help uh, with that, but that's not not the case, right? So that to me is one of the reasons I land on a Wenyan Gabriel is like he is the one guy that's playing decently well. He only played like eight minutes last night. You know, that's one of the few remaining cards and, and dials and we need a switch look, we need a zone look. Uh, like there are, there are all sorts of things that Darwin can do to play the bad hand that he has as best as he can. But ultimately it does like you need that superstar to be a superstar on offense to kind of facilitate the rest of the chain reaction. I think that this is all a convergence still of where are the players' mindsets at? How much are they willing to do? And do they feel like they have the support? And is the roster going to give them the support in order to do these things in the first place? None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. The AD getting 25 shots a game doesn't happen without the right level of support that he needs defensively. It doesn't happen without the requisite number of perimeter shots going in so that he doesn't get swarmed on the interior with double teams. It doesn't happen if he's not getting down, well, downhill and all of this other stuff Basketball as a flow sport, all of these things are connected. They're all related, right? And, and, and so this is where the team as a collective needs to find itself and it needs to not fracture. And we're 11 games into the season and that's a tough conversation to, to be having, but this is where it is. And if LeBron James isn't going to play, it is on all of these guys to sort of say like, we, we have the collective will to compete still and mm-hmm. that's what i'm looking for most yeah very curious curious to see who steps up on on that front uh and who leads from from their position uh all right we will be back tomorrow talk some more lakers maybe some general nba stuff but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Rebound is Lonnie, three seconds left. That next to the winner, it's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. 
Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.